The sermon text for this festival of the resurrection is Romans 4, verses 18 to 25. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. This is God's word. A happy Easter, everyone. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. It's great to see all of you and uh, those of you also who are joining us online. We're thankful for your presence with us. If we haven't had the pleasure to meet, my name is Caleb. I'm the pastor at Cross of Life. And what we'll do today is what we do every Sunday at Cross of Life, open God's word and look at what it has to say to us. But before we get into the text for today, I want to share with you why I think this message is worth the price of your attention. We live in an uncertain world. Maybe you didn't realize that around the end of 2019, but 2020 made it pretty obvious to us how uncertain things are. In the last three years have amplified that. Right now, many of us are uncertain about our health, about our finances, about our family, about our culture, about our politics. Name anything, and there is literally just about nothing that can be actually certain in this life, and we all know it. So let me offer you something from God's word to give you certainty. Certainty that is outside of you does not depend on you and therefore is untouchable. And in fact, it's a certainty that itself is based on certainty. In other words, you can be certain about the future because we can be certain about the past. We're going to find out that Christ is risen and that is certain hope in uncertain times. We're going to learn that through the life of a guy named Abraham, or as he is known earlier in the text of Genesis, Abram. If you know Abram's story, he grew up in a non-Christian household, a pretty wealthy man from a land called Ur. Uh, But it turned out, uh, later in his life, God showed up to him and said, I have a promise for you and a command. The promise was, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Your descendants will be more than the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky. And here's the command. Go. Get out of Ur and go where I tell you to live. And the crazy thing about it is he he listens, right? I mean, how many of us would just pick up our life, especially when we've been established in a place and doing pretty well, and just completely move to another place? Now, of course, he was talking to God, so that has something to do with it. But I wonder if there wasn't something a little bit deeper going on with Abraham at that time. See, the name Abram means father of many. That's literally what it means in Hebrew. The problem for Abraham was that he was the father of nobody. He had no children. He was married. He had a wife named Sarah, but they had tried year after year, decade after decade, and had no children. And you can imagine the embarrassment, right? You meet somebody new. Hey, I'm Abram. Oh, father of many. How many sons do you have? None. Well, I'm sure you have some daughters then, right? No. 
You can imagine the awkward conversations around the dinner table, right? Like Sarah's pushing her peas around the plate, not making eye contact. Do you want to talk about it? Nope. Because what are you going to say? Is it my fault? Is it your fault? Is it both of our faults? If any of you have struggled with infertility, you know that that can be a painful and awkward thing to go through. And so I wonder if, if that wasn't behind Abram's willingness to believe God's promise. Like he recognized he had a fundamental flaw that he could not solve. And God was giving him the answer. I mean, at some point, Abraham probably thought, what have I got to lose? Nothing else has worked. I might as well believe this promise. And if you're taking notes with us, that's the the first fill in the blank. Abraham's first issue was that he had a problem, a problem that he couldn't solve. And God gave him an answer to that problem. I'll make you into a great nation. Just go where I tell you to go. And I think there's something in that for us today. Every one of us has at least one thing, I think, in our lives that we realize is a problem we can't really solve. And maybe for some of you it's infertility, but I would guess for the majority of you it isn't. It's something else. Maybe for you it's addiction. The addiction that you keep struggling with, you you drink more than you let on, you keep going back to pornography, you can't go to sleep without binging on Netflix or scrolling on your phone, you shop obsessively, you eat compulsively, you can't stop yourself. Or maybe it's a relational issue. Like your marriage looks good when you're out in public, but behind closed doors it's a different story. You don't get along with your siblings, your parents and you don't talk. Maybe it's your kids who maybe are okay when you're out in public, but at home are a nightmare and you've said or done things around them or God forbid to them that you would never tell anybody. Maybe you're just wondering if there's going to be that special someone out there for you, the person who actually will love you Or maybe you're just wondering, is there anyone who really, truly loves me? Maybe your issue is a health thing. It's a mental health struggle that you you can't seem to explain to people, but it's so real to you every day. It's the physical ailments that cause the doctor's visits that you don't really want to share with others. Maybe it's the fact that you're realizing death is getting a little bit closer and closer every year. And while when you were 20 or 30, you thought that's way off in the future now, 10, 15 more years maybe? Maybe it's a work thing. You can't find the right job, a good job. And you wonder, is it, is it my work history? Is it my education? Is it something about me? Or maybe you have a good job and, and it just doesn't seem to pay the bills. Like inflation is a real thing and your dollar's going a shorter distance and you're wondering, can this job actually work for me? Or maybe you have a good job and it pays the bills, but you're wondering, will I be able to keep this job? I mean, are they going to let me go? Or are they going to downsize the company? Maybe it's something from your past. Like a, a tragic thing. A thing you wish you could go back and you could redo. And you got maybe in trouble with the law or maybe even sort of worse, you didn't and didn't get caught and now it just haunts you. Or maybe it's nothing big, just the constant drip of disappointing people day after day, week after week. You have a problem and you can't seem to solve it. No matter how much you know it's wrong and no matter how much you wish it was different, you can't seem to find the solution. Any of you there? You don't have to raise your hand. But I'm guessing quite a few of you are. And if you're not, if you're thinking to yourself, I don't really have any big problems like that, let me just suggest maybe your problem is arrogance. Look, every one of us has these deep flaws that we're maybe barely able to admit to ourselves. 
God has an answer. He has an answer to that problem. Now we're going to get to that answer, but we got to go a little bit further into Abram's history first. So God makes this promise to Abram that he's going to have a family that is going to turn into a great nation. Uh, But it turns out that God isn't exactly uh, prompt in fulfilling that promise. It's actually the better part of two decades until God actually fulfills this promise. And so in the meantime, Abram and Sarah decide to take matters into their own hands. They think to themselves, well, God's taking a really long time fulfilling his promise, so maybe he expects us to put something in, some effort of our own. Maybe you remember the story. Sarah suggests that since Abraham and Sarah can't seem to conceive, that Abraham should sleep with her servant, Hagar, in order that Abraham can have a child. And it works. He does. He sleeps with her, and she conceives and gives birth to a son named Ishmael. And I'll spare you the details, but it was miserable. Everything about it was a disaster. And maybe you've experienced that too, especially maybe if you're in this room or online and you call yourself a Christian. You believe the promises of God, but you keep trying to solve it yourself. This was Abram's second issue. He had a problem that he couldn't solve, and yet he still tried to solve it himself, rather than trusting in the one who had given him the promise. You've tried to take pills, to see a psychiatrist, to talk to your friends about it, to scour the internet for blogs. You've watched all the YouTube videos. You've tried mindfulness. You've tried taking a break. You've tried taking vacations. Whatever it is, to try to fix whatever that thing is. And my guess is that overall, it's making you more miserable because it's reminding you of the problem that you can't seem to solve. But then God did make good on his promise. You heard it in the Old Testament text. God eventually showed up to Abram and Sarah and said, next time, or this year, uh, excuse me, next year at this time, I'm going to come back and I'm going to have fulfilled my promise. And of course he did. Isaac was born to Sarah. Isaac means laughter, which of course makes sense. I mean, if you saw a 90-year-old woman carrying around an infant, you would probably chuckle to yourself as well. God made good on his promise. And what the Bible tells us is that that was great for Abraham, of course. He became a father of many nations. But something else happened through that entire process that was even better. Did you read it in the text? It said that because Abraham believed, he was credited righteousness. Because Abraham believed, he was credited righteousness. What is righteousness? We don't usually use that word. Uh, The word basically means to live up to expectations. You have expectations in your family, at your job, in your community. And as long as you're living up to the expectations, you have righteousness with the other people in that relationship. You're all right with them. Before God, human beings have no righteousness. We're not living up to the standard that God gave us, which is absolute perfection in everything that God has commanded. And Frankly, every single one of those problems that I outlined, whichever one was yours, is at its foundation a righteousness problem. Your health, your work, your relationships, your addictions, whatever it is, it's a righteousness problem. At some level, you'd know that you're not good enough and you're trying to cope with it. You're realizing the fundamental flaw, which is that you haven't lived up. 
And so while what got Abram off the couch to go follow God was the promise of the solving of his problem of infertility, what God was actually doing behind the scenes was crediting Abram righteousness. Because what God knew Abram needed more than a son was to be righteous. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, you need righteousness too. Which is, why is why, which is why it is so beautiful that the text says that that promise, that Abram's faith in God's word led not only to his righteousness, but also to our righteousness. That's why that's so important. Because if you take the righteousness that God gives you, the all rightness that you have between you and the Heavenly Father, and you press it into whatever you struggle with, it gives you certainty in uncertain times. So what if you're going to die soon? You're okay with God. So what if you don't have enough money to live? You're okay with God. So what if you never find that special someone? You're okay with God. So what if you're destitute and you can't find a good job? You're okay with God. And you might think to yourself, well, that, that sounds all well and good. But how can I know? Well, it turns out this story of Abraham is paralleled in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, what Abraham fundamentally believed was that God could bring life out of a place where death dwelt. Abraham believed that God could bring specifically a new life, a new child out of a womb that was as good as dead. And on Easter Sunday, he did the same thing amplified a hundred times over. God brought the life of a human being out of a dead person's grave. Where God saw death in the womb of Sarah, he made life happen. Where God saw death in the tomb of Jesus, he made life happen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And because he is risen and because you believe in that promise, you know that you are righteous before God. Because what Christ did on the cross was take all of your sin, all of your failure, all of your shame, and absorbed it into himself like a sponge and died with it and buried it in the ground and came out on the other side completely acquitted himself because he paid for sin. Which means not only is he free from sin, but so are you. Or as the text says it, he was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. Justification is just another fancy word that basically means to get righteousness, to be declared not guilty before God. And that's what you receive on Easter Sunday. Abraham received righteousness, which means he was all right with God. But you, brothers and sisters, also receive righteousness because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. But I'm guessing there's still a part of you that says, okay, yeah, it sounds good, but how can I know? I mean, you said I have this certainty, sure, it sounds great, and if I believed that, I, I'm sure I would feel a whole lot better about myself and my life. Remember what I said is that the certainty that you can have is also based on a thing that is absolutely certain, which is the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I know the vast majority of people who are going to hear my voice this morning already believe this message, but for the sake of you who might be wondering whether this really actually happened, let me share some things with you. First of all, the evidence of the resurrection is bound up first in the women. The women who went to the tomb when Jesus was arisen. In their culture, a woman's testimony was not admissible in a court of law as evidence. 
And so if you think that the Bible records of Jesus' resurrection are made-up stories by powerful men who are trying to control the masses, you would think that's a really dumb way to make up a story. In fact, at the time that these stories were being written down, there was a man named Celsus. He was a Roman who really hated Christians, and he said, you guys, this is obvious. We can't believe the resurrection story of Jesus. It's been told to us by women, and you know women are hysterical. Now, we don't believe that, but they did. And yet, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul all wrote down that women saw Jesus first. And secondarily, the women were the only ones actually at the tomb. In all the gospel narratives, again, the first people to show up to see Jesus are women, and they're not expecting him to be risen, which is bad enough. But then you think, where are all his disciples? For three years, Jesus had said multiple times, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise on the third day. I'm going to die, I'm going to rise on the third day. I'm going to die, I'm going to rise on the third day. It was like a broken record. And yet you don't see even one of the disciples thinking, huh, it's the third day. I couldn't hurt to look, right? But none of them are there. Again, if you're Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John trying to make up a story about how you should be followed now because Jesus is arisen, even though he's not, You don't make yourself out to be chief buffoon in the story. Then one last piece of evidence. Um, The Apostle Paul, when he writes in 1 Corinthians that, that he has seen Jesus arisen and so have 500 other brothers and sisters at the same time, he's giving you eyewitness testimony. And he even says that some of those 500 brothers and sisters who saw Jesus are still alive right now when he writes. Which means go check it out with them. What happened about, you know, 20 years ago or so? Well, the attack on the Twin Towers in New York, right? 9-11, as it's commonly known. Most of us, nearly all of us, saw it happen. It was a huge event, a worldwide event. And so if somebody came to us and said, it didn't happen, we would say, "Uh, no, I saw it. It was there. It happened. This is what happened with Paul and Jesus. Paul's writing that message from 1 Corinthians nearly 20 years after Jesus has risen, and no one is saying, no, he didn't, he didn't rise. Paul's saying, actually, I have hundreds of witnesses who say they saw him alive. Christ is risen, and you can prove it. And if you're taking notes with us, that's the first fill in the blank on your last point here. Jesus' resurrection proves your righteousness and salvation. But lastly, and maybe most importantly, it personalizes it. It personalizes it. The text from Paul in Romans says that this message that it was credited to him as righteousness was not only for Abraham, but also for you. And so the certainty with which we can have the belief that Jesus rose from the dead is the same certainty that we can have that we are okay with God, that we are forgiven of our sins, that our our future is secure, that all the uncertainty in this world is passing away and we have something to latch onto that cannot be changed because it is not future, it is not dependent on any person or any policy or politician, it is dependent on actual, accomplished history. So drill down deep on that with whatever is your problem. Press that down on however sin is haunting you and be free. Christ was handed over to death for your sins. He was raised to life for your justification, and you can be absolutely sure of it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the certainty that you give us in uncertain times. 
that you bless us with your word and even beyond your word, the historical evidence to see that your resurrection is true historical fact. We ask that if there are those uh, who are hearing my voice today who are unsure, that your Holy Spirit would come to them and give them the ability to believe it, that you would give them your word, that you would give them fellow Christians to encourage them in this so that they can find this peace that you offer that goes beyond understanding. And as you have promised that all these things that we struggle with are going to pass away, we still ask for your comfort as we deal with them today. And the many people are struggling with money, with health, with relationships, with all sorts of problems. We ask your comfort on them and our opportunity to serve them, to show them not just an eternal life that is coming, the love and acceptance of a family of believers that can happen right now. We ask those things in your name. Amen.